This is the Local Hearted Podcast, episode number 25, with Asheville painter Susan Sinai. Welcome to the Local Hearted Podcast. I'm Meredith Adler, and I am your host. Join me as we get to know the people who create the wide variety of art in Asheville and in the mountain counties of Western North Carolina. We'll also talk with some of the people who create opportunities for our local artists and help them shine. Hi, this is Meredith, and I'm happy to have you join me for this episode of the Local Hearted Podcast. My guest today is Susan Sinai, an oil and pastel painter living in Asheville, North Carolina. Formerly a portrait artist, Susan now paints light-filled landscapes and still lifes. In fact, Susan tells us that light is what most often attracts her to her subject matter. At the Highsmith Union Building at UNCA, there is a recreation of Raphael's 16th century fresco, The School of Athens. The recreation was a collaboration between UNCA professors, students, and community members. And as one of the core people who worked on the project, in this interview, Susan gives us the inside story on what it was like going through that process. One highlight of this episode for me was Susan's heartfelt statement about what teachers of art can do to either encourage or discourage their students. And we clearly get the picture of how positive an instructor Susan must be for her own local painting students. On a personal note, when I was in the planning stages before I started the Local Hearted podcast, my boyfriend had a very close friend who was dying. He told his friend about Local Hearted, and his friend recommended I interview a good friend of his, who turned out to be Susan Sinai. I knew Susan from years earlier, when I was involved with the Appalachian Pastel Society, and was familiar with her work. By the time I spoke with Susan about the show, our mutual friend had died. Susan and I knew we would do this interview together someday, but we also had to wait until we could talk to each other about anything without crying. It took about two years, but we finally were ready to record. So we want to dedicate this episode to the memory of Henry Isabella. And you will now understand when I tell you what a special moment it is for me to present to you Susan Sinai. Susan, thank you so much for joining me on the Local Hearted Podcast today. I've been really looking forward to this and excited to talk to you about your artwork. Well, thank you for inviting me, and I'm looking forward to talking about it. Well, thank you. Yeah, and I will start by asking you to just describe what you do. Well, I'm a painter, and um, I'm, I work in pastel and oil. Pastel is really my first love. 
but I've gone more towards oil lately because just the cost involved and framing pastel and um, but I still love it. I am very drawn to I mean I'm a representational painter mm-hmm. um, I don't believe my mind um, can work in an abstract fashion, although I'll go back to that later because actually I found that it could, which was surprising to me. Ah. So, but I just really am drawn to the beauty in just real objects, the play of light on color and, and the form. And I just find that beautiful. And I just want to, um, express my joy in the beauty I see. So that's what I try to paint. Well, thank you. And, Will you say a little bit more about that, about the light? Because I noticed you really emphasize that on your website, and it's evident in your artwork. And I wonder if you could say more about what you're looking for in your subject matter and what it means to you. I think it's just um, something that captures my attention. You know, a certain type of light and I have written about this when I describe my art because I feel like there's a certain type of light that evokes mood. And I guess that's what it does. Something clicks in me when I see this light. And I think back, um, I've really thought about this quite a bit. I think back to when I was a child and I'm sure it was very irritating to my mother because I was always, I remember in one house we lived, I loved the fact that when the afternoon sun came in, so beautiful. I just loved it. I don't know what I liked about it, but I just loved that light. Well, my mother was always closing the drapes because she didn't want to fade the furniture. And I would open the drapes. And I couldn't explain to her why I had to have the drapes open. And I didn't really care if the furniture got faded, so... Uh-huh. It seems like that was a bone of contention. And the other thing that I remember as an even smaller child, hating if an overhead light was on. Just that <clears throat> that bleakness of an overhead light. I couldn't stand it. It just made me feel almost nauseated. Um, so I think I've just always had this sensitivity to light, which is kind of strange. Yeah, so the stage weird. was set very early right. for what you were attracted to yeah. as an artist. <clears throat> So, and when I was in UNCA and I was doing art history, I was just very drawn to that uh, almost Baroque lighting, that strong light, you know, chiaroscuro. Yeah, it just made me very pensive. I guess I'm a, I go for the pensive. Mm -hmm. Okay. I like that. And some of the lighting I think I've seen in your work is somewhat dramatic. Yeah. I'm thinking about one of your paintings that I walked into a show once and just was front and center in that show and kind of, I'm sure, floored people was the iris. Do you know which painting I'm Mm -hmm. talking about? Yeah, so no matter what I'm painting, I think that's what what makes me want to paint it, Uh Um, just to capture it for a minute. Because sometimes the thing about light, it's so fleeting. You know, it's only there for a second. And maybe if it were there constantly, I wouldn't think about it. You know, I'd just get used to it. But it's just that magical short period of time 
this, where that light enhances the subject or makes it glow or makes me think about something else. You know, that's what I try to get. Those special moments that are fleeting and mm-hmm. you put them down so that you can yeah. remember them and show them to right. everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you mentioned um, UNCA. Do you want to talk about, is that where you got your start in art or that came later? Yes. I um, had a degree in sociology. I went to college, you know, the usual thing you do when you graduate from high school. And, you know, I kind of plotted through. It was fine. Did it. Got out of school with a degree in sociology, and then I did some secretarial work, and of course I got married and had my children. So, you know, I I think I didn't really think about my college, just what I was supposed to do, and I did it, you know, like a good girl. Well, then I started um, when my younger daughter was a baby, a still nursing baby. Somebody said, did I want a part-time job painting baskets for a woman that was selling baskets, which at the time was um, in the early 80s, people were into baskets. People were also into ducks and geese. Mm-hmm. So she was having me paint ducks and geese on these baskets. And um, actually, I got quite good at it. And I thought, oh, this is fun, but mm, ducks and geese. And then I went for a while to... Um, Painting on, I would make aprons because I was also a seamstress. That was really my first art form, being a seamstress. But I would paint on these aprons, and, you know, they were cutesy. But that led me to um, UNCA. I decided I would take a class there in life drawing. That was the first class I took with the Os Vandermeer. Um, It was a little intimidating because I was not used to painting or drawing the figure, but I enjoyed it. The second class I took over there was basic design with Tucker Cook. And when I took that class, um, it was like a fire started in my brain because he was such a great teacher and there were all these concepts and every week we'd have a different assignment, which just, you know, it was a thinking assignment. It wasn't just a drawing assignment. It was concepts that we learned. We had to draw this do this work. I just, um, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Ah. And, you know, of course, I had my children, so I thought about them too, but (laughs) it was very exciting. And I realized how dull my first college experience was and how, (laughs) I mean, it was useful, I guess, but I didn't have that fire in my belly about it. You know, just kind of like getting through. Uh So I, I decided after taking several classes that I would, you know, get my Bachelor of Fine Arts, which took me seven years just because I would take maybe one or two classes. I love the art history. I just, you know, it was all wonderful. And I will say, starting there, and I was so excited, and I was excited the whole time, but it got, it gets hard. It's hard work. People aren't telling you how wonderful you are because the higher up you get, it's like, oh, what do you think you're doing? This is not good. I mean, you just have to, you have to fight your way through that. So. Yeah. Can you talk more about that? Like the feedback you got, did you always use it to change what you were doing or did you take it in stride and 
Um, Did you sometimes disagree with it? All of the above. Okay. All of the above. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I felt it was not constructive. Some people, professors, had the ability to give strong critiques that didn't make you feel like you were laid out on the floor or cut you off at the knees. Sometimes it was quite harsh, you know, that... So I learned from it. And even now, I don't have a lot of older things that I did, but I do have some pieces. And... I remember the critiques, but now what's interesting, I can look and say, dang, they were right. Mm. This, you know, but at the time it's so personal and you're new and you're, you know, you're just trying your hardest. So it does feel like, you know, pretty harsh, mm-hmm. but, but it did teach me to, um, to be able to give the, the people I'm teaching, I know how to give constructive criticism, but I think I'm a really good critiquer of other people's work without, you know, just see things right away that maybe could be better, but I've learned to say it in such a way, well, you might want to think about this. And, mm-hmm. you know, my one friend, Bev, she will call me and she, she likes to hear my critiques and I, her, you know, we're very honest and without being mean. <laughs> mm-hmm. There are ways and there are ways. There are, exactly. So in terms of, like, putting this in context of your life, the baskets and the stuff you were doing with the, did you say it was aprons? Mm-hmm. Was that all in Asheville? Was that all here? Or were you that was in else? Asheville, yeah, okay. in the 1980s. And when I was a child, um, I started sewing. I loved fabrics. And when I was... In the fourth grade, my mother signed me up for a singer sewing class. Um, she had a little singer that I would make doll clothes on, but I took this singer sewing class and I just loved it. My sister hated it, but I loved it. And I actually made quite a few of my clothes by the time I was in high school, but I just loved the fabrics and I was always kind of doing different things with them, you know, trying to be a little bit creative. And I sewed a lot of my daughter's clothes. I was always being a little creative there, too. So, But when I was a child in sewing, that was the first time I really experienced this. Um, I know there's a name for it, but we just kind of lose all sensation of time. You get caught up in the project, and you know, all of a sudden you say, wow, four hours later, what happened? You know, you just... And, and that's the way I am now with painting and... Um, kind of getting into a flow... Yeah, I guess it's a flow. Yeah. That's what you So you could it. do that with sewing as a child. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this was the 80s. This was in Asheville. Mm-hmm. And so I went, I went back to UNCA. I think it was in 87. I started taking classes. And I finished in 94. Okay. Um, that's when I got my degree. Yes. No, 93. Then I went back the next year and took a portrait class with Tucker. And then I went back in the early 2000s and worked on this mural with him, the School of Athens mural. I don't know if you've seen it. I saw mention of it on your website, but I 
Maybe you can talk yeah. about what that is or was. Or... Well, he, um, I had gone over to UNSA for something, and I saw him. He said, hey, you want to work on this mural, this project? It was his retirement project. So what he had planned was to do a recreation of Raphael's School of Athens, mm. which is about the humanities, that painting, and it's huge. It's in the Vatican. I think it's something like, let's say, 27 by 60 feet. I don't know. It's really large. But the way he envisioned it would be as a collaborative effort with him and students and past students and community, local artists who would come through and work on this thing. He said, it's going to take about a year. You know, we're going to work on it once or twice a week. As it turns out, it took two and a half years. And there were four of us that kind of stayed through the whole thing with him. We were kind of like the the main helpers. He had students coming through, and some took it as a credit. That would be their credit, painting one. So we had to kind of pull their, pull everything together so it would be cohesive, so every piece wouldn't be different. So we started off with small 12 by 12 pieces. He gridded it off into squares, start off with drawings. Everybody was assigned two sections. And for some of us, we completed up to the end. So then we did a small, after that, grisaille painting. It was done in acrylics. Then we did a small color, and eventually we transposed that to um, four-by-four canvases. They're all hung together. It's at the Highsmith Center. Okay. And um, I'm still amazed. I've take, taken people over to look at it, and I'm still amazed at how beautiful it is. I think of all the work we did and um, to get that thing hung, and it's pretty amazing. You should go take a look. I will take a look. That would be good to see. So the the small pieces you used, you put them together. Is that well, what you're we saying? yeah? It was like this big painting. And he had gridded it off into this, these squares. Mm-hmm. And so we just started small, just as studies. So I initially see. they were studies. Okay. And then we actually took um, one of the larger things and we projected it onto the larger canvas. Mm-hmm. Of course, then we had to make sure that every piece lined up. You know, if we painted them, we were always having to adjust to make sure they flowed correctly from one to the other. And some of the pieces it was in the middle of a face that was kind of interesting but it mm-hmm. but it all worked so you replicate you did small studies and then replicated them larger yes. but they were still pieces of the right. whole mm-hmm. okay yeah so it seems like i mean you mentioned abstract earlier it seems like those little ones would be somewhat abstract until yes put together they were except that you know, you were copying from something. Uh-huh. You had something that you were trying to match the colors and everything uh-huh. with. So they were kind of more like design pieces, yeah. unless you had a face or mm-hmm. some object, hand or a book or something like and, that. And because you were copying, it wasn't coming from within. Right. Mm-hmm. But you were, sounds like, wholly dedicated to this project yes. for a long time. Yes, it and it was kind of interesting because during that time, um, we were talking about back problems. I was experiencing a lot of back pain, and then it turns out I had to have this 
big surgery, but it kind of helped me through all that. Like, you know. Having a focus. Yeah. Go there yeah. and I'd work on that thing. And Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Huh. And what was the unveiling like? How did that go? That was, um, that was pretty exciting. Yeah. And of course, after we had the whole thing finished and actually the hardest part was we, we had, um, well, the architectural stuff around the top. Like we had to get this arch exactly right and get it to meet up. We had to lay out these. Anyway, it's hard to describe, but it was, and it, that was mostly Tucker and the few of us that had decided to work with them, four women. The core people. The, yes, the yeah. core group. Um, but then there was an issue about the cost of hanging the thing. And the university, could they get the money to do this? And eventually it all worked out. And did get hung. Um, so I think everybody was quite amazed. Yes. Because people had just seen it in sections and couldn't imagine that it would look as fabulous as it did when it was hung. And did you have an opening reception? We did, yeah. Mm -hmm. Were a lot of the people who participated able to attend? Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. I, yeah, I definitely have to get over there. Yeah. See if I can talk you into taking me. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. Okay, so that was the few years right after you graduated? That was in, well, that was a while. It was probably, huh. let's see, that would be in 2004. So it was probably about 10 years oh, yeah. after. Yeah. Okay. And what were you doing in the interim? I it started painting. I was actually doing portrait work. Okay. Um. And trying to get commissions. And then um, I was commissioned to do Robert Tynes that helped me. He actually offered up my name to do Dr. Schumann. You know, they have a chancellor's portrait gallery, even though there haven't been many chancellors. So I did his portrait. Um, that was unveiled in 2000, I think, or 2001. Um, so that was kind of exciting to do that. And I feel like I have a lot of myself over at UNC. I have this chancellor's portrait and then I have this mural that I worked on. But, um, I did portraits for a while and I realized it was just so hard for me to deal with, um, aspect of trying to make people happy. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I did really fine portraits. Mm -hmm. They were good. But then I realized, too, that maybe what I was seeing in somebody wasn't that they wanted to see. Mm -hmm. I had a friend that would do a number of photographs of this person for me, because <clears throat> people don't really want to see it anymore. And um, then I would choose the ones that I thought, would, and I would consult with a person, yes, yes, we like that. And uh, it's just, a lot of people want like a smiling, like a photograph. But my feeling about a photograph is versus a portrait, they're very different because I feel like a portrait, say I'm getting back into the pensiveness, I like a pensive portrait because I feel like a painting is something that's going to be there for a long time. Photograph is just a more fleeting thing, but I don't know, people wanted 
big smiles. And aside from the fact it's very hard to paint teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> that I don't know. I just think it's more, more beautiful to have a contemplative approach. And what medium were you using? Oil. Oils. Back then. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So the ones that are on your website that I saw, those were from back then? Or yes. do you still? Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. I did one several years ago for a friend, a, a wedding portrait of their daughter-in-law. Um, and for them, it was more about the dress because their daughter had designed this special dress for the bride that had to do with lace that was from a mother's wedding. There's a whole story about the dress. So um, I don't, I didn't really get feedback from the bride. I assumed that she liked it. I don't know, but that was fine. They loved it. The people that commissioned me loved it. And I liked that it was about the dress because I love painting fabric. I love the story about the dress. So that's where I connected. And it was a little difficult because I had not met the bride. Uh-huh. I didn't take the photograph. So I was a little bit removed from that, but I did connect to the dress. Uh-huh. Back but, to the fabric. Yes, the fabric. Early days. The um, There was a young girl on your website, a, a portrait that was really beautiful, I thought, that kind of stuck with me after I looked at it for a while. Oh, the little girl in the green dress. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that was about the dress, too, because in that, um, the dress had been worn by the grandmother and the mother oh. for portraits, for painted portraits. So she wanted her daughter's portrait done in that dress. That's pretty special, carrying on that thread. Yeah. So you did portraits. Did you do those for like 10 years, that 10-year interim? Is that what you were doing? Yeah. Okay. And when did pastels come into the picture? Well, I did pastels, but not for portraits. Because I didn't really do pastels when I was at UNCA. Um, I just really liked them. My mother, when I was little, she did some art. She did some pastel portraits for friends, mm-hmm. and I was always wanting to use her pastels. She didn't want to share. She wasn't, uh, I don't know, supportive is not the right word, but she did not encourage me, so she didn't want to share her art toys with me. <laughs> but I did, um, I remember when I was 12, I think, for Christmas, I got a little box of pastels. I was very happy. I loved those. So anyway, then when I was a big girl, <laughs> I asked for Christmas one year for a set of Sennelier pastels. So that's when I really started. And this one back here, that was my first one I did with this, my new Sennelier's. That's right. With, mm-hmm. Ah. Yeah. Was that a still life? Yeah, it was from a um, farmer's market. Out in oh. San Francisco, I think. That's a pretty at large, um, ambitious piece for a first piece with a medium. Yeah, I just liked all the colors, and I just thought it was a cool. Yeah. Okay. 
You kept that one. I did. Mm-hmm. I did keep it. But I had, um, when my mother, who's about to turn 94 now, when she moved here to Asheville and she was going through all her things in Chapel Hill, she gave me, um, so this is about five, six years ago, gave me a wooden box that still had some of her Grumbacher oh. pastels in it, and which I was glad to get. But part of me said, well, why are you just now giving these to me? <laughs> you just didn't want to share your toys. <laughs> <laughs> but I was glad to have it. And I love the old Grumbachers because they are just fabulous. You know, they have a lot of the stuff that they probably don't put, you know, cadmiums and yeah. they're probably much more toxic, which is why they're more beautiful <laughs> and brilliant. You use them sparingly. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's, that's nice that you have that. I have some very old Grumbacher oil pastels oh. that I don't think you can get anymore, but there's, uh, there's something about those I really, really like. I didn't even know they made oil pastels. Yeah, I'll show them to you sometime. Oh, yeah. So did you have, like, a stretch of time where you were mostly pastel, and what were you doing? The way it works for me, so I'll work in pastel for a while, and really for a while I did mostly work in pastel, but at a certain point I'd say, oh, I feel I want to do something in oil. I just need to go back to oil, mm-hmm. and so I would do that. Kind of back and forth with mm-hmm. them. Okay. And a lot of what I've seen of your uh, pastels is landscapes, right? Well, that's when I really started getting very um, stressed about the portrait work. Um, And I had been juried into the Asheville Gallery of Art. And before I started that process, somebody had told me, People really like landscapes, so, and I was not a big landscape painter. It didn't really excite me. Mm-hmm. Not that I'd ever really explored doing it, but I thought, well, I'll, I'll try that. You know, maybe I can do landscapes that people will want to buy. Or, and when I started doing it, I just absolutely loved it because it was very freeing after doing portraits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just very. I thought. You know, I can put this dang tree anywhere I want. You know, I can, I can just make it the way I want it to be. Mm-hmm. You can't really compose a face, but you can compose right. a landscape. Yeah, colors and and then I realized it was. That's when I really got in touch with the idea of the light and the because I, I mean, there's certain times of the day that I find the landscape to be particularly beautiful. Um, of course, around here, there's so many beautiful spots. Um, but I started looking at the landscape in a different way. The, because I'd gotten used to being in the mountains and the, having the mountains around me. But then when you look at them, after a while, you start to recognize the shapes, you know, mm-hmm. of the mountains and the unique character of each one. And we have a friend that lives out in Leicester, so... I've done a lot of my scenes from out there because it's just beautiful there. Mm-hmm. Um, we have another friend that has property in southwest Virginia, where we just were this weekend. A lot of beautiful areas there, very pastoral and um, 
Is that like up 81, that area? It's up um, 77 um, and then onto the parkway right oh, around there. Okay, nice. Yeah. So I, w- I want to clarify something you said. Did you, when you were expressing how things changed somewhat after you got interested in landscape, do you mean that you saw your everyday surroundings with a new eye? Is that kind of what you I were saying? I think I did, yes. Okay. I did. Mm-hmm. Okay. I thought that might be what you meant. Yes. It's just more appreciative, I would say, and seeing the beauty in just what we see every day. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, you just take it for granted, and then you now you, I might look and say, oh, look at that, you know? Look at the way the light plays on it. Look at the design here. Yeah, yeah. I think, too, like for someone who becomes a new artist, that happens, too. Like, suddenly... You're seeing life differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you are painting, what is your process? Are you going outside to paint or doing it differently? Um, I have done, and I once in a while do plenier painting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm more comfortable being a studio painter. And part of that is, I think, um, because I'm looking for that one little moment in time of light. And if I go out and take photographs or I see something I want to take a photograph, I've been by several times in the afternoon, I say, oh, wow, look at that. Six, 5.30, the light is beautiful. I need to go. And I know it's only going to last maybe 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. So that's when I will go and take a number of photographs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know plein air painting. I mean, it's very important. I understand that. Um, but I'm just, maybe, I don't know if you say I'm, I, you'd say I'm lazy, but I'm not going to drag all my stuff out there. And by the time I set it up, maybe I don't do it enough to be able to be speedy about it. But that moment would be gone. Yeah. And so. Those moments that you're talking about, that really special light, they are so, so fleeting. Yeah. You'd have to be out there for day after day at the same time, and then you'd be right. contending with, well, different weather, yeah, different cloud cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've done some Colorado since my daughter moved out to Colorado, and I, I like that landscape. It's very um, dramatic and vast. I like the aspens. I've done a couple of things of aspens, paintings of aspens, because I was really drawn to that. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I go out there, it's like a whole new thing to explore and see Mm -hmm. different colors than here. Really different. Yeah. So when I look at your work, they look like you've had a lot of experience painting outside. You uh you obviously have a good understanding of the landscape because I can look at yours and feel like I could be there. That, what you said right there, that is the biggest compliment to me. Somebody says, I feel like I'm right there. Mm-hmm. I feel like I could walk down that path. So sometimes when I'm in the spot, I'm really aware of that spot, you know? feeling it and so even if I'm not there painting it if I'm taking pictures of it and I'm there you know 
Yeah, I know it's not exactly the same, but I have a feel for it. That's where your process starts. Yeah. And you're working on connecting with what you're seeing and feeling. Yeah. Which, for you, it sounds like maybe more important than holding a paintbrush right there. Yeah. I mean, it's just I have to have a feeling for it. And that's why I don't ever paint from somebody else's photograph, because I wasn't there, you know. I just can't feel it. Talk, can you talk a little bit more about your different feelings for oils and pastels? Yeah. I feel, and people have told me, oh, your pastel work is much more vibrant and beautiful. Now, this frustrates me because I want to know why my oil, I keep trying to make my oils more like my pastel work. And I think I'm kind of achieving that now. One thing I think is that the pastel colors, I mean, they're all laid out there. I mean, I just get so excited about the colors. Sometimes I almost salivate when I look mm-hmm. at my pastels. I get so excited. But I don't have to think about mixing the colors, which is good. You know, that's excellent exercise. And you can come up with some interesting colors. But... Sometimes I come up with a funky color and oil, or I love that, and like, but how did I do that? I can't remember. And then if I were to be organized enough to write down, you know, that wouldn't be fun, <laughs> you know? Because mm-hmm. sometimes you mix a color, you, you got to use it, yeah. and then you forget. And so it's just that whole process. So I think part of the pastel thing is just having those colors right there. Um, and when I paint in pastel... I have these way too many pastels, but I have different brands and different, the hard and the soft, you know. And so they're all organized, sort of organized. But then it's like when I complete the painting, it looks like I've painted by the explosion method. They're all over the place, you know, and it's hard for me to find that one. It's like I have 10 blues, but no, I know there's this other blue that's a little bit better. And I'll get get that, you know. (laughs) This is kind of crazy. You can probably relate oh, to yeah. that. Oh, yeah. You're in the flow again. I think yes. it sounds like you're not going to be really organized and no. tidy when you're in the flow. No. Yeah. So um, with my oils now, I'm faster. I'm getting really fast at oils, which means I'm not thinking about it so much. I think that was part of it. Like I was thinking about the process too much. Um, and it might be because there's more to think about in terms of, you know, layering and glazing and all that. So I seem to be getting to where I'm not having to do so much considering. Somebody else said the same thing to me once about their work. Elizabeth Mori. Do you mm-hmm. know who I mean? Yeah. She's um uh, very well-known, I know you know, but just for the sake of the listeners, a very well-known, mostly for her pastels, but right. she does oils and pastels, and I took a workshop with her and was talking with her. She said the same thing you did. That, really? Uh-huh. She said people seem to be way more drawn to the pastel work, and I remember what I said to her at the time. I'll tell you what I said. I'd have to think it through to think if I still feel that way because this was about six years ago. I told her that when I look at 
art books that have both oils and pastels in them. There's something about the medium also of pastel that I think it just has a certain, I don't know if I want to say glow or sparkle. There's something about what the medium itself does that I think people are attracted to it. And does that make sense to you? It does. Because the pastel, it kind of sits on that paper. You know, it's the particles. Mm -hmm. And so it has a certain luminosity Mm -hmm. that oil doesn't always have. I think oil can have that. It's easier to make mud, I think, with oil. If you keep working it. Uh Uh-huh. Maybe that's it, too, that you could keep working the oil. But pastel also, I think, has a a softness about it, which can also be kind of deadly because of people that can make it too mushy. Smudge and smudge. And you don't want that. So I think with both, it's it's about mastery of the medium. And pastel, I have a friend that she says she loves pastel, and she's bought a couple of my pieces. She says, because it looks, she said the only word she can use to describe it is it, it's a fatness about it, how it looks. But she loved that as a child when looking at illustrations that were all, when she thought of the word fat, like the huh. color or the, maybe she's talking about the richness maybe. of it. Maybe, yeah. 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 So that's what she likes about it. But I think with oils, if you can get into um, maybe some glazing or something without having it be too studied or formal, because that makes it more luminous, there are more layers for the light to come through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are ways, if, mm-hmm. if they are your ways, you know, right. people use them differently. So is do you feel like one of them is more fun for you? or Right now, because I've been working with oil, for a while now, a couple months, it's becoming more fun. I'm involved with this magic studio, teaching studio. And so I've been going over there every Tuesday. I haven't had a lot of students because it's a new venture. And on my during my time there, I've been working on these little paintings, little five-by-sevens. I'm really liking those because I just say, I'm going to get this done in two and a half hours. And so it's kind of having that pastel-like quality. I'm getting, I don't want to say I am getting looser, but that's not always a goal because I like the beautiful, really structured still life. But for the landscapes, because I'm doing it really quickly, I think I'm liking that. I'm, I'm not thinking about it so much, I'm saying it. Mm-hmm. You're doing it really regularly, and you're working really yes. small, and I think that right. can make a difference, too, because one stroke is going to describe yes. so much. Yes. <laughs> well, when I was at UNCA, Tucker used to tell us, okay, if you like painting small, well, if you paint big, use a really big paintbrush. Same thing. Mm-hmm. But it's a little more intimidating, you know? To have that much paint on the brush. Big surface. Like, oh, oh, the big surface. Yeah. <laughs> Both. <laughs> yes. Because you feel like you might not have as much control over it. Control is part of the thing. Mm -hmm. For me, I think. 
Do you have any of your small ones here? We're at Susan's home studio. Um, no, they're all down at uh, at Magic Studio. I'll have to check I just them leave out. them down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to tell more about Magic Studio? Yes. Um, well, I'm a- actually involved in two ventures now. I've I've taught a workshop at Fleetas at Three Ten Art, uh-huh. and then Pam Granger Gale. I got in touch with me. It was very interesting. They got in touch with me in the same week, which I just love how things come together like that to see if I'd be interested in doing some teaching, which was a good thing. I needed to do that. So Pam's venture, she has, I'll say, maybe five artists involved, and she's on the South Slope in the refinery, which used to be the ABCCM building. Now it's got a gallery and some studios in there. And so her thing is, well, my shtick, if you want to call it that, I teach a three-hour landscape painting in oil. And so the person or persons will come in, and I will lead them through an oil painting. I will work along with them. And so they don't have to bring any supplies or anything. They just come in, you know, pay the price for three hours, and they walk out with an oil painting. And Mm -hmm. you don't really have to have experience. The two people I've had, well, three people. Two, one was maybe experienced, one was experienced in the past, and one was not experienced at all. But they all ended up with paintings that they like. I let them choose their reference photo since it was just one. And we talked about composition, and we talked about some other basic things. I mean, because it is a three-hour thing, and they're painting a la prima. So they're not, you know, they're just putting it on there. That's been really helpful for me, too, because I'm, anytime you teach somebody and you're going over the basics, you're kind of remembering and you're thinking of new ways to do it to make it interesting. So anyway, she's only really had this open since March. So she's working hard to get students to come and sign up. It's real easy. You just go online and you grab a class and you you show up and you you learn. And where do you go online? Magicstudios.com. Okay. And does the magic have a J? M-A-J-I-K. Okay. Studios.com. Okay. And then you go to grab a class. There are different classes. We have drawing and, and this young man that teaches drawing in Spanish, which is pretty cool, I think. We have watercolor and we have an illustrator that just come on board and does journaling. And anyway, it's interesting. And your classes are on Tuesdays? On Tuesday. Okay. Or if somebody wants a private class, you know, they can schedule with her. Now, at Fleetas, of course, that's different. I have done a workshop in pastel. I have another one coming up, um, painting on metal, which is something I've, see right up here, yeah. I'm painting on this aluminum. So I'm going to do a workshop in that in October. Oh, cool. Then maybe setting some up for 2019. I'm also going to be doing, um, Fleeta has a critique group. People come in and they paint, and at the end, they paint on whatever they're working on. At the end, there's a critique process. So I'm scheduled for that in September. Great. Mm-hmm. And that is a great, that sounds like a really great resource for other people, other painters. It is. I love a group critique. I think it's very helpful when people are kind and, you know, mm-hmm. point out the good things and things that could be improved. 
have we talked about everything regarding your painting? Because I want to make sure we leave some time for the glass work you're doing. But is there anything else? I mean, you have had a very rich life in painting. I mean, do you want to talk about where people can see your work or other things that um, you're doing? Well, yes. Let me let me talk about the Beaver Dam Studio Tour, which I'm part of. Okay. Last year was the first year for it. There were 25 artists, I think, last year. I might not have that, but in that range. This year, there are going to be, I think, five new artists, be 30, all living in the Beaver Dam area. So it's a very two-and-a-half-mile stretch down Beaver Dam Road, all tucked in little places. We have ceramic artists and jewelers and fiber artists. It's a, a good mix of really fine artists. Last year, it was the last week in October, as it will be this year. Very successful last year in terms of numbers and, and selling things. Terrible weather. We had sleet. Oh, it was crazy. That was when it was sleeting. Yes, oh. but people still came out. And this year, I'm sure the weather will be better. Uh-huh. But that was a fun way to sell my art, you know, have people come in. I think people like to meet the artists now. And it allowed me to clean up my area down here. and <laughs> Forced you. That's right. So... Yeah, it was a win-win situation. That's great. That is amazing that just this one road and the roads leading off of it, that there are 30 artists, probably more. Yes. Wow. Well, somebody put out last a year ago in March on the next door site, are there any artists out there that might be interested in a studio tour? Well, yes, <laughs> a lot. Yes. So it just took that one person that was willing to, you know, put that out there and his wife uh, was a marketing person out of Atlanta. So the first year she did all the legwork. I mean, nice. the marketing and getting the ad is so professional. But then she said, okay, this is the first year I did it. Now you all have to do it. So this year people take it on different jobs and she's still helping, but mm-hmm. yeah. Group effort now. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Great. I have to remind me of that as it gets closer. I'll give you a brochure. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Yeah. And anything else you want to talk about before we go um, to the glass? No. Okay. No, I just encourage people to check out magicstudios.com. And, okay. of course, I have a few pieces down at Fleetus. And, okay. Yeah. And are you still in the Asheville Gallery of Art? I'm not. You're not. Okay. I, I got out during the, well, the recession. <laughs> that oh. was a terrible... Well, was just very... It's a great place. It's Mm -hmm. grown a lot. It is, yeah. Well, thank you. And you surprised me today when I got here showing me a whole new art form you're doing. Will you talk about that a little bit? Yes, I started doing these um, glass flowers. Um, I call them shiny, happy flowers. Last summer, I saw somebody that had made these yard art things with plates, and I thought, that is really cute. I want to make some for my husband because he likes to garden. But when I started uh, looking around for pieces, I realized here's where the light comes in. I liked the glass because I love the way the the shimmery they shimmer in the garden and the reflection. And so anyway, I very quickly got addicted to buying glass <laughs> things and making these things. And um, yeah, so I I sold some at last year's studio tour. 
I sold quite a few, actually. Mm-hmm. So now I have them down at Eco Depot, um, and I'll have some more on this year's studio. And they're just really fun. I consider them little glass sculptures. So I keep perfecting the me- my methodology. I've had some out in the yard for over a year now, and they're holding up great. I think a couple have had some issues because of bad glue or whatever, but mostly they're, you know, they're pretty strong. They're fragile, but once they're on their stick, they're fine. And I just needed something sparkly and fun to lift my spirits. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Do you feel like, it might be hard, but do you feel like you can get a good photograph of one of them to put on the local hearted blog? I have some great photographs. Oh, good. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. Let's include some of those. Yeah. It's a whole new side of Susan. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) And the other thing about them is they're affordable, like $50, $55, so people don't have to really think about, Mm -hmm. hmm, I don't know. It's not a huge commitment, like choosing a painting. Right. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And I think... From what you described, it sounds like you get something out of doing Oh, I do. I do. That's wonderful. So I very quickly moved from thinking about my husband as a gift for him to my thing. Yeah. (laughs) All about me. Yay. (laughs) What I want to do. But he enjoys them. He gets to enjoy the fruits of my labor. (laughs) In more ways than one around here. Yes. There's a lot of beautiful paintings here. Yes, he's my biggest fan would say and supporter mm-hmm. good to have yeah it is well is there anything else you want to talk about no actually there's one thing i want to say okay great which we didn't talk about okay. i just want to say how teachers are so important to young people and that's the first person that ever encouraged my art. Um, sorry. This is intense, huh? Sometimes I surprise myself when I get emotional about. But when I was in eighth grade, we just moved to Chapel Hill, and it was just hard. And we were reading uh, Treasure Island. Had these little drawings in there, pen and ink. So that's one thing my mother did let me play with, her pen and ink. So I brought in these this one pen and ink drawing that I copied from this book. And that teacher, even though I was not, I was kind of struggling at the time, she said, you know, why don't you do a whole bunch of drawings and we're going to put them up around the room? You are so good. That meant so much. Yeah. So it's just affirmation, you know. So you started out by talking about the importance of teachers, and I'm wondering if you're wanting to send a message to teachers right now, if that's Yes. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of teachers, and they're all excellent. Um, I taught art a little bit at Asheville Catholic, and that was part of the thing. Just, just try and just, it's okay if it's not perfect, you know? 
Some of our teachers, my children have had, um, have been very critical. And I hate that for children. And in fact, my granddaughter, who loved uh, Vicki Hall, she's a fabulous art teacher and artist. Um, when she was here, she loved Mrs. Hall, and she felt like she was a great artist. She herself, you mean? Not the Brighton, teacher. my granddaughter, yes. felt, felt yep. really good about her art, and now she's in Colorado. And I asked her, I said, are you still enjoying art? She said, I'm not very good at it. Hmm. And so I know somebody, she got that message, or that somebody had students that they said, you know, they were their pet students, mm -hmm. and, and said, this, per this person's art is really good. So it just made me sad mm -hmm. that she felt that way about her art. Not that it means that she has to be a professional artist or anything, but she should just feel good about it. Mm -hmm. She you got know? discouraged. Somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because, I don't know, it doesn't have to be perfect. Even for adults, and that's what you're providing now, it seems like yeah. you know, that would be having someone like you who's so aware of right. the kind of comments yeah. a teacher can make or not make. Yeah. It seems like it would make a big difference to adult learners that right. you're encountering. Yeah. Yeah. And and maybe that was the thing about, compared to a critique, maybe that was the thing about portraits, is that it was that critical aspect. It was not constructive. It was, it was just different, you know. That yeah. was hard for me to deal with. I didn't have a thick skin about it. Yeah. Well, if... If the whole focus is looking for fault, right? That's gonna exactly. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, art it's just very personal. You know, it just comes from your heart, and yeah, mm -hmm. hard to have a thick skin about it. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for sharing your heart with me today. Well, yeah, appreciate it very much. Sometimes I don't often talk about myself and my art so it kind of surprises me if I get emotional about it because I'm not used to expressing that uh-huh it kind of yeah. came out and took you by surprise yeah, today it did. it did well we can have a discussion if we choose to leave that in the interview or not it will be up to you okay 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 yeah thank you very much Susan this has meant so much to me as I will explain when I do the intro later. This has meant a lot to me to sit down with you. We've waited a long time yeah. to do this. Yeah. Well, thank okay. you. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And I want to encourage you to go to the show notes at localhearted.com and check out examples of Susan's light-filled work. I have included links there to Susan's sites and also a link to an article about the UNCA School of Athens mural project. And if you are local, check out the mural in person. Susan has some events coming up I want to mention. The Beaver Dam Studio Tour is October 27th, 2018 from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. and October 28th from noon to 5 Susan has two workshops in 2019 at 310 Art in Asheville. The first is March 9th, 2019, called Flower Power. 
And then November 9th, 2019, on creating a personal still life. And she is calling that one, Something Old, Something New, Something You. Susan also teaches every Tuesday afternoon at Magic Studios in Asheville and also by appointment. I have included a link to Magic Studios in the show notes. While you are on the Local Hearted site, if you want to make sure you never miss an episode with one of our talented local artists, please sign up for the mailing list. I will notify you as new episodes are released. Thank you so much for listening and for your interest in Asheville artists. Signing off, this is Meredith Adler for the Local Hearted Podcast. And the podcast's theme music, Learning to Fly, is courtesy of and copyrighted by Jamie Noter-Thomas. <laughs>